Good morning. This is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I am your host, Philip Coover, a partner in Ice Miller's Real Estate Practice Group. Today, we have Magnolia Land Partners on the show. We have uh, the co-founder, Mark Bernstein. Mark, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah we're, we're recording this on April 20th, uh, one day before Earth Day. We're, we're calling this our Earth Day special, even though the listeners will get this probably sometime in May. Um, because Magnolia is doing a lot of really interesting things. Um, often I have guests on the show that are brokers or owners or people that I'm talking to or working with on various things. This one is just truly something I picked out as I, I wanted to talk to Magnolia because I think what they're doing is is really interesting and unique. And so um, th- this one's for me, but I think everybody will be interested in it as well. So. Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about the company that you co-founded and uh, what what Magnolia is working on right now? Sure thing. So Magnolia is a mitigation company. Uh, We develop and participate in different environmental markets around the country. So when it comes to environmental markets, a lot of people are familiar with carbon offsets. Uh, What we do essentially is develop uh, offsets for other types of, uh, for other environmental issues. So a lot of our work right now is focused on habitats. So wetlands and streams and endangered species habitats. We're also doing work related to using environmental markets to address issues like urban flooding and and, uh, water quality issues as well. So with Magnolia, we are developing new environmental markets and spreading environmental markets to new parts of the country as well. Yeah, no, thank you for that summary. And um, I think... A lot of people think about, when they think about conservation and environmental companies, they think about not-for-profits, donations come in, they go out and do good work for the environment. Um, You all have a different business model, which I think is important because you work with different stakeholders, whether it be developers that um, need to acquire credits because they're disturbing, they've run I don't want to say a foul, but they've done something which triggered some sort of response from the regulatory authorities, whether it be the Clean Water Act or uh, or other such laws, where they they need you all or companies like you to help work with them, and you also help landowners that have potential habitats on their site. So why don't you tell everyone about the different parties that you come in contact with and how the operation works? Yeah, certainly. So in the U.S., there are a lot of landmark laws like the Clean Water Act, the Endangered Species Act, the Clean Air Act that have no net loss provisions. And what that means is that uh, the the government's not going to allow you to to develop something that's going to result in a net loss of a certain resource. So the one that uh, some folks are familiar with is is wetlands. If If you are a landowner, you've got a property, you're trying to build a building, if you're going to lose an acre of wetlands, the... Army Corps of Engineers, which is the agency that is tasked with um, with administering the Clean Water Act, they're, they're not going to allow you to build on that acre of wetlands unless you're offsetting that to comply with that no net loss provision. Uh, so, Phil, one thing that I would say is you, you'd mentioned that a lot of our, a lot of our clients are, are, are groups that have, have run afoul of, of, of these regulations. What we're actually trying to do is create an opportunity for people to be proactive in meeting uh, this compliance. So not wait until you've run a follow of these laws, but instead early on in the project development period, 
say, identify here's here's a, a, a sensitive habitat that that um, we're going to be affecting, and how can we proactively make sure that the net result of our project is is a is a benefit for that resource. So for for those folks uh, previously before Magnolia, they'd have to go out and uh, for the wetland example restore wetlands themselves. So when Walmart was in extreme expansion mode in, in, in the 90s, they actually became the largest restorer of wetlands in the country, which is kind of wild because uh, they were impacting a lot of wetlands when they were building these stores. Um, interesting that, that, that they were doing that, not their core competency. And, and it turns out when they went and looked at, at, these, at these sites that were restored, more often than not, um, the, the end result wasn't, uh, wasn't too positive. These, these weren't high-functioning wetlands. Uh, what's been developed is, uh, and this is where the other side of the market comes in. So Magnolia now works with landowners who have suitable habitat where we can go in and, and restore wetlands, for example. And uh, we receive a bank of credits for doing that work. So you, uh, a real simple way of thinking about it is that for every acre of wetlands that we restore, we receive one wetland restoration credit. And then we can then trade those credits with the Walmarts or the other groups of, of the world that, that are, are looking to comply with their environmental regulations um, without having to get into the ecological restoration business themselves. Uh, so it helps them to proactively comply with different environmental regulations. And then the really neat part is on the other side of the market for landowners that, that host these mitigation projects, it's an opportunity for them to earn income by doing things that are beneficial for, for the environment. So instead of growing crops, they can grow wetlands on their property and uh, they're not just doing right by the planet, but there it's also can be a, a savvy uh, business move as well. Uh, well, tell us about the, the savvy business move. Because, so, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it's important for people to understand that um, you know, there are good economic reasons as well as uh, environmentally conscious reasons to participate in these programs. Sure. One challenge in talking about this is, is we try and talk in generalities about in, environmental markets and, and, and participating in these programs, but the programs are so wildly different. So uh, going back to what we were discussing as far as, as, as wetlands, and we'll use that as, as, as an example. So uh, Magnolia operates the Illinois Conservation Exchange. It's a statewide agricultural mitigation banking program. It's a program where basically farmers are paying farmers to farmers that need to drain wetlands can pay farmers elsewhere in, in, in the state to restore wetlands on their properties. What we do is we recruit landowners that are interested in earning income through conservation. They can go in and uh, take uh, cropland that, that maybe um, floods pretty frequently. So it's marginal cropland and take that out of production and instead restore wetlands. Magnolia pays them for every acre of wetlands that, that, that we're able to restore. Uh, Magnolia covers 100% of the costs associated with restoration and, and maintaining the wetlands. And the only requirement of the, these landowners is to, uh, when we plant trees on their properties, to not to cut down the trees. So complying with the terms of the conservation easement that we place on, on, on their land. Uh, and uh, what we're doing is we're creating really high quality habitat on, on, on their properties. Um, so they're, they're growing wetlands. And also they're, they're now having uh, great habitat that has a lot of recreational value as well. So one of the, there, there's some ancillary income that they can earn in addition to uh, participating in these environmental markets in the form of hunting leases, things like that as well. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So 
Uh, I was good. You just answered the question in case people didn't pick up on it. So, you know, would you, my question was going to be, do you buy the land and acquire title to the land or do you pay for a conservation easement and for the right to take care of it? Um, and it sounds like the latter. Yeah. So our preference is, is for Magnolia for, to be a platform for landowners to get connected to environmental markets. So we're, we're looking, our preferred approach are our landowners um, that are looking to unlock that economic value of, of, of their property, um, but are looking to retain, retain ownership of, of their land. So when you enroll, importantly, when you, when you enroll in a program with us, Magnolia still needs to ask permission to enter onto your property. It's still your land to use as, as you see fit provided that you comply with the terms of the conservation easement. And generally that, that boils down to if we're planting something on your property, make sure that it, uh, you're, you're not cutting it down. Um, there are certain instances where Magnolia will acquire properties in fee simple opportunistically when it makes sense. And generally what we'll do is when we acquire a property, we'll conserve it and then either donate it um, or we'll, we'll put it back on the market as um, high quality recreational land for people who are who are, are looking for for that type of habitat. Yeah, no, so it makes a ton of sense. If you're a landowner, it's got you know maybe you've had it the in the family for generations, or you just have all this land and you have land that you know someone may consider initially um, not usable land in the traditional sense of growing crops or construction. But you're like, oh, what am I going to do with these wetlands? I can't touch them because the Clean Water Act. I'm not generating income off of them. Well, you can. If you work with Magnolia, you can generate some income off of it and turn it into you know, an amenity or something of value from a recreational sense, um, as you point out. And it yeah. kind of the, similarly, you know, on the other side of the equation, you have developers who... Um, are looking at property they're like okay i got 40 acres here 10 acres but 20 percent of it is wetlands i can't i can't touch it or if i do i have to you know acquire credits and, and have a no net loss situation or i could work with magnolia i could turn that into an amenity for this residential development so that they have some nature right there to use um and realize a little bit more value out of it while improving the overall the overall project and the property. Yep, and, and that's something that we that we do frequently is is uh, folks will reach out with property that they own or a property that they're thinking about acquiring and wondering is there an opportunity to use this? There's there's this extra land that comes along with it. Is would this work for any of your programs? And we can say, yeah, this could this potentially qualify for endangered species habitat. And you're taking something that was a liability and turning it into a potential asset. And it's an easy thing for us to, to do is to quickly give a, a, a once over of a property and see whether it might qualify for any of our programs. I also like the, well, you, the other component that you just mentioned that you're talking about in the Walmart context is, is often companies try to do everything themselves. Oh, we'll just get an in-house environmental team and um you know when we're developing these walmarts we'll do it ourselves but here it's like you know you can focus on what you're good at and then we'll at the same time solve this problem using an outsourced solution which you guys do all of the time so it makes more sense kind of uh to spend for everyone to be worked on focused on what they're they're good at doing yeah 
And, and one important aspect of that, in addition to just um, allowing uh, groups to focus on their core competencies by participating in one of these markets, we've gone to great lengths to ensure that there's a complete transfer of liability. So if, if you're going out and doing this work yourself, you're not just responsible for doing the restoration, you're also responsible for making sure that the trees survive uh, and for, for X number of years and, and there's uh, maintenance and reporting and replanting and all that that goes into it. Uh, when you purchase credits from us, there's a, there's a complete transfer of, of that responsibility. So you're really able to cut a check and, and, and walk away if you so choose. Some groups like to continue to be involved. They find it to work interesting and, and, and they come out and tour the sites and see where the money's going. But uh, it becomes something that's voluntary at, at that point as opposed to uh, a mandate. And how do you all plan for that, kind of the long-term care? Yeah, there's two phases of, of, of all of our projects. There's the active phase while, while we're selling credits. And, and during that period, um, Magnolia is on is on the hook to to make sure that we meet all of our performance standards. If if uh, restoration is not is not taking hold as 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 anticipated, then we need to go in and adaptively manage uh, to to make sure that we we meet our success criteria. Uh, once we're able to meet all of our success criteria and all the credits, and we're done selling credits from our property, then what we do is we transfer into a the long term stewardship phase, and when that happens. Uh, we, we establish an endowment for each one of our projects, and these endowments are intended to be non-wasting, and the proceeds from the endowment pay for any ongoing management and monitoring of the sites. So it's, it's, it's beneficial for the site in that there's, there's a guaranteed stream of, of funding to ensure that um, the sites are, are being well taken care of, but also from as a, a for-profit company, it allows us to um, not have that continuing liability in perpetuity. Yeah, yeah, right. No, that's I was, I was looking uh, for an answer on, but you got a good one. Um, so let's talk about your projects. I mean, you, on your website, it, it's. I would encourage everyone to go to mitigation.org uh, to check it out. You've had over 10,000 acres protected, over 5,000 acres of endangered species habitat, conserved, uh, 25,000 linear feet of stream restored, 14 states with active projects. You all are busy. Yeah, we're, we're, we're staying busy and, and, and we're continuing. We're growing both in terms of the, the footprint, but also we're trying to go deep in, in each of the states where we operate. So expanding into states where there currently aren't environmental markets and also trying to build out the, the different resources that we're developing markets for. So, for example, in Illinois, we started with just wetlands and uh, for agricultural work, and now we've expanded to different types of aquatic resources, and now we're working with endangered species as well. So we're providing more of a, a suite of products to, to clients who are looking to purchase credits, but also um, it increases the likelihood that when a landowner reaches out looking to enroll their property in a conservation program, that there's hopefully a good fit for them on their, on their land. Yeah, and so uh, you've done a lot of projects in Southern Illinois. You know, I'm, I'm right outside Chicago here, office in Chicago, and I'm going out to uh, the Conservation Foundation in DuPage, their, their annual gala tonight. And, um, you know, so tell us, so they're active in, in Northern Illinois, uh, different type of organization, but uh, just tell us about what, 
you know, how you're trying to expand in Illinois. I'm, I'm from DeKalb, you know, so tell, tell me, can I reach out to some people in DeKalb? How can we help? Yeah, I, I, I appreciate the offer there. Um, the best part of my job is being able to go to different conservation organizations, all of which are doing amazing work and almost across the border cash strapped and being able to say, we're looking to invest in projects. What's on your um, wish list? Are there sites you're looking to acquire? Are there sites you're looking to restore? And being able to help out with that. So um, you mentioned earlier that that, uh, that we operate in, in, in a bunch of different states and uh, we're not able to be experts in every geography where, where we operate um, and for every resource that, that we're, we're touching. And what we really do is lean on these local conservation organizations to help say, here are the sites that are going to be most impactful. Here are the projects that are going to be most impactful. And what we're able to do is, is um, put these mitigation dollars, um, these dollars from, from environmental markets behind the work that, that these local conservation organizations are doing right now. So just this morning, I was meeting with a, a forest preserve that has acquired some sites and is, is, is looking for opportunities and, and, and funding to do really important prairie restoration work. And uh, it seems like uh, hopefully we'll be able to, to, to help them out by um, taking some of these mitigation dollars and putting it towards those projects. So would encourage if, uh, if folks are interested in, in, in getting involved and just want to see if a project might be a good fit. Um, for us, yeah, certainly do reach out. It's, it's mitigation.org. Um, a lot of people think it's litigation with an L. It's mitigation with an M. Very different. Uh, Very different. Very different. <laughs> um, that was good. Well, can you give us just an example of maybe one of your favorite projects that you've done? Yeah. Yeah, sure. An early project that we did was, um, this is actually just outside of Philadelphia. And we were working, we went in and met with um, local land trusts and also the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and, and said, we're, we're trying to build out an endangered species market in, in, for the state and just didn't, didn't currently exist. Um, do you have a site that you would like for us to, to target? And uh, they were able to find, a, I believe, probably the only site in the world that has uh, it's a mix of four different endangered species that all happen to live on this 100-acre parcel. So you've got the, the bog turtle, which is North America's smallest turtle. Uh, I highly recommend folks to look them up. They fit in the palm of your hand. Um, and, and actually, that's why they're, they're, they're so endangered is that they're, they, um, they go for a pretty penny on um, the exotic pet trade. Um, we were able to, to go out and, and conserve a site that had a bunch of these bog turtles that had three different um, very endangered bats and work with a, a landowner who was um, ready to get out of the farming game, um, but wanted to be able to pass on their property for future generations. So by enrolling with us, uh, they were able to unlock, uh, basically it was, it was um, a payment almost equal to had they sold the property, but they were able to retain the property we were able to protect four different endangered species. We also partnered with a, a local university and uh, a state natural resource agency to do a bunch of research on the property. We put up different types of bat boxes and saw which type of bat box was was most valuable or, or, or most heavily utilized by these different uh, different species. 
And then we also did some wetland stream restoration on the property uh, to boot. So it was really an opportunity to take a property and realize all the the different ecological services that um, that 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 the property could could provide by enrolling and participating in these different environmental markets, and by doing that, um, creating this this really important uh, wildlife refuge and nature preserve um, just outside of the city. And uh, it's it's a fun one to get to go track where we have researchers go on on an annual basis and and um, while the broader populations for these species are are unfortunately not doing very well at all on this site they're they're really thriving and it's become the largest stronghold um, especially for some of these bats in in, in the whole state so um, and that's one of the earlier projects that we've done so we've been able to see the the fruits of the labor and and, and it actually work um and uh so that that's when i like to it's it's always fun to go visit and and i'm especially proud of that's really cool it's a great success story my question my next question is really just how did you uh start get the idea to be a co-founder of this company and to take the leap from uh, your prior employment to start this company and while you're thinking about how to answer that, I'm going to flatter you a little bit because normally I work with a lot of developers and I always think that being a developer is a very difficult job because it requires a lot of different skill sets. You have to be able to have vision to kind of see the project. You have to understand numbers and kind of more difficult. You have to understand real estate, but more difficult is like the different types of people you have to work with. You have to work with investors, that are strictly concerned about financial returns and how those work. You have to work with politicians. You have to work with local governments to get their approvals. And you have to work with um, people who are in the community who may have thoughts about develop your development and what you're trying to do that may not be congruent with your, with your thoughts. And you have to work with lawyers. You have to work with bankers. And so you just have very different types of people and types of that you have to kind of all pull it all together. And so you're doing something similar, but you also have the science component, which is on, layered on top of it, is you have to understand the science of it all and have kind of the, the training uh, to add that component because uh, that's the central thrust of what you're trying to do. So, um, you know, just tell us about how you how you started the company and yeah, just love to hear about it. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, so I, I've been interested in environmental markets for for a long time. In college, I studied environmental science and economics and was really interested in in how markets could be used to solve some of the most pressing environmental issues. Um, In college, I was interning at the Chicago Climate Exchange, which at the time was the the first and only voluntary uh, cap-and-trade system um, that was in existence in in the U.S. at that point. Post college, I started working at a um, a company that was that was uh, participating in wetland mitigation in, in southern Louisiana, and that's when I really learned about some of these compliance-based environmental markets, and really opened my eyes to the the potential here. And uh, it's it's commonplace in, in southern Louisiana because um, wetlands is something that everyone's that every developer deals with uh, on nearly every project. Um, so they developed this system and, and, and over the years it hammered out something that, that went from being a real point of friction to, 
to a streamlined, efficient way of uh, um, both complying with these regulations and these requirements, but also putting money towards really critical coastal restoration projects. So the impetus for Magnolia was taking this efficient environmental market that had developed in southern Louisiana and trying to apply it for other natural resources in other parts of the country. Uh, and um, feel really fortunate that uh, we've been able to, to do that and, and, and are starting to, to develop um, first other kind um, markets in, in, in a bunch of different parts of, of the country. To go back to what you were saying about the different stakeholders that we work with, that is one of the really interesting and one of the big challenges um, or challenging aspects of, of the business. Um, so we divide the company up into four points four parts. We've got a land team that goes out and works with our partner landowners that are interested in participating and, and, and hosting conservation projects. Uh, we've got the sales side that goes and, and, and talks to the folks that are looking to purchase the credits. We've got the, the operation side, which works with the different contractors that, that help with our restoration work across the country. And then we have the... and. So it's operations and science. They're also the ones that are going out and, and doing all the monitoring, the baseline reports and, and the, the species surveys, et cetera. And, and then lastly is, is the, the, the regulatory component. So um, because these are compliance-based markets, every project needs to be approved and, and, and uh, get the blessing of, of, of different uh, government agencies, either federal, state, or local level. So each one of those stakeholders has uh, different needs and uh, to try and triangulate all those all those different needs to um, get a project on the ground that um, is going to to um, meet their their unique requirements is the the challenge and, and, and the fun part of what we do it's, it's really cool that you're doing that um and so what's been kind of the biggest hurdle for you in, in growing your business i'm sure you have um, a desire to do more as you see more more that needs to be done around the country. Um, you know, how, yeah, so just tell us like what your challenges are in, in growth and getting more projects and doing more. Yeah, yeah, uh, a, a, a couple um, right off the top of my head. One is uh, on, on, on the regulatory side, there's been a bit of a whiplash uh, with, with different administrations in terms of the enforcement and, uh, and guidance around different environmental regulations. So a, a lack of consistency in how, uh, in how regulations are enforced is definitely a challenge for, for the growth of environmental markets. And then the, uh, on, on a similar note is uh, trying to create a process that's, that's, that's uh, standardized and, and in, in order to help with scaling. Uh, right now, every project is, uh, when you're dealing with, with the land and you're dealing with all these different interests, every project seems to, seems to have its own unique spin on it. And in order to, to be able to continue scaling up, we're, we're trying to figure out a way to, uh, to where possible standardize uh, across sites and across geographies. And that's something that I spend a lot of my time thinking about is, is, is what aspects of the business can we, can we standardize in order to help with scaling. It's for sure. We have the same struggle in law. You know, it would be great to uh, to have forms and documents and everything that is uh, more consistent. But, um, you know, every deal is different. So it's like trying to 
figure out how you add the the unique characteristics to an already standardized form is is something that we, we work towards and struggle with all the time. Yeah, I'm 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 sure. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention also that um, we're trying to grow and 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 continuously looking for additional people that we can bring onto the team. So if if anyone's interested um, by by any of this work, would would strongly encourage you to to reach out because um, we're looking for additional passionate team members um, to to help us scale. Yeah, and I also noticed that people are interested. You have a a link on your website for. If you're interested in joining the team, mitigation.org, not litigation. Thanks well, Mark, for <laughs> uh, thank you very much for, for coming on the show. Uh, any last words of encouragement uh, or, or parting words for you? Yeah, so um, I, I think for, for folks that, that care about the environment or follow some of these issues closely, there's, there's so much negative, negative news coming out on a daily basis. Um, and it can be easy to become discouraged. And I tend to gravitate towards opportunities for um, trying to look for, for the positives and, 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 and things that we can do um, to, to turn some of these environmental issues and, and, and challenges into, into opportunities. And um, that's one of the things I'm really excited about with the, the spread of environmental markets is it's taking something that was a point of friction and turning it into an opportunity for marrying interests about necessary economic development with really important and, and, and really vital um, restoration and conservation. Um, so I would encourage other folks to, to look for, for similar opportunities where um, in, in, in addressing really important environmental needs. Yeah, I know. I think what you're doing is really smart with the environmental markets. I'm always a proponent of, of utilizing incentives uh, to help people do things that are good for the greater good and, and the community as a whole. You know, I think it. I personally believe in the long-term incentive of helping the environment. But hey, if you can show people the short-term incentive uh, to do to do things right now. You know that that's a great thing. You know, you see that with uh, affordable housing and with other things. Where there's, mm-hmm. there's incentives and markets that are there to encourage people to invest in, in different types of communities. I think what you're doing in the environmental space, with environmental markets, is is a really great thing for our for our community, for our economy, uh, and, and for the environment. So, thank you very much for what you're doing for for helping educate us all. Yeah, thank you so much for setting this up and it was, it was really great to speak with you. All right, thanks, Mark. This publication is intended for general information purposes only and does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. The listener should consult with legal counsel to determine how laws or decisions discussed herein apply to the listener's specific circumstances.